I don't believe now that humans are that different and we all kind of want the same things in a culture. We want it to be authentic. We want to be heard. We want to be listened to. We want to be able to share our ideas. We want to be able to bring our best selves to work every day. These are common human traits and social traits that I think resonate with nearly everybody. And these are the things that we try to promote within organizations. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces diversify our thinking and achieve significant HR success. Hello and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Group, and we are specialist HR recruiters. Now, whether, of course, you're listening to this podcast for the first time or the hundredth time or the thousandth time, it doesn't matter. I just want to say a huge thank you all for joining me on this journey. We are exploring some fantastic speakers that are influencing the future landscape of the HR L&D world. So for you listening to this right now, you're absolutely playing a part in that. And we are introducing many, many amazing guests still to come, one of which I've got with me on the podcast today. I am joined by HR leadership visionary, Mike Prokey, who is CEO of Cratic. Now, we're going to find out all about their leading edge technology, their unbiased artificial intelligence, and their human behavioral science that's really driving this tech. So do stay tuned. It's current, it's relevant, and it's going to tackle many of the issues that I'm sure you are being challenged with every day in the world of HR L&D. Now, it's already being used by users and top 500 companies across the globe to help businesses to develop positive outcomes, improve employee net promoter scores, and we're going to find out more about that later. But I don't want to give everything away. So Mike Pokey, who's joining me today, whose focus includes covering things like employee engagement, organizational behavior, corporate culture, all things we love to discuss in the HLND podcast, is joining me right now. So uh, welcome, Mike, to the show. Hey, Nick, great to be here. Pleasure to be here. I don't think I've ever heard HR visionary before. So thank you very much. I hope I don't uh, disappoint at all. <laughs> ah, there you go. You can quote me on that one in your future literature. Yeah, as said by the podcast host, there we go. I'm going to start with the first question I ask everyone I have on the show, which is this. What do the words human resources mean to you? I admittingly probably um, a little bit out there come from an engineering background. And so I kind of stumbled upon employee engagement, just found a passion around it. So in my experience, I would probably say like people and performance management, everything kind of related to those realms is kind of what I'm familiar with from the from the HR function. And I know it's kind of evolving every month, which has been really cool to see as well in the industry. Yeah, for sure. It's a great response. And as you mentioned, you come from an engineering background. By all means, tell the listeners more about your background if you wish to. But what I like is you're coming then from engineering, bringing that into HR, which gives you a different perspective to the world of human resources and how technology can influence the market space. And of course, as I mentioned in the introduction, you are CEO of Cratic.ai. And I will have that link in the show notes for anyone that wants to find out more about that later on when you when you hear more about it. But just from your reference point, Mike, tell us a little bit more about Cratic. So Cratic AI is something that we've developed, and I should give a shout out to the real visionary Israel Peck, my co-founder there, who comes from the big world of culture consulting and did a lot of transformational work with one of the big four consultants. And we kind of thought, you know, there's got to be a better way to have these transformational 
culture shifts. Oftentimes we hear that it can take five to six years to change corporate culture and you need to, you know, swap out a bunch of people to do so. We see no reason why that can't be done in six to eight weeks. If you have really high quality conversations within your organization and are really purposeful about your objectives. So that's really what Craddock set out to do. Israel um, took a break from corporate life. He took a six-month development boot camp. And then he came back and he kind of showed me this amazing little tool. He created Craddock AI, where it uses AI to help guide conversations so that people can have authentic and open conversations within their organizations. As soon as I tried it, I was absolutely hooked. Um, I've been in corporate now, you know, working just over 10 years and all the conversations in Canada anyway, where I'm from, um, they all tend to focus around the same kind of clusters of work. You have your classic weather type talk, your strategy talk, you know, your future future planning talk. But these conversations were completely different. It's about what makes you happy at work, what makes you engaged at work. And it was such an open atmosphere that I was really hooked from that moment on. And when he asked me to uh, join as CEO, it was an opportunity that I couldn't pass on. Fantastic. Well, you, you've touched upon a lot of things there that's really important in the HR agenda. One of those, of course, is employee engagement. You said, you know, coming from engineering, you came across this tool. It hooked you in, it pulled you in. Now you're part of the process, you're part of the product. We're seeing tech infiltrate HR like we've never seen it before post-pandemic. It's been a very exciting, fast-changing industry for, for new solutions coming out to market. But why in particular then is employee engagement such a hot topic right now? And particularly, why is it such an area of focus for, I guess, bleeding-edge tech companies like yourself coming into this space? Where's the attraction and, and, and why is it so relevant? I think there, there's a couple of, of good questions there to unpack. And firstly, I would say that even before the, the pandemic that we're all going through right now, I often said that we were in a little bit of a cultural epidemic. And by that, I mean, I was noticing that a lot of my peers um, who were very highly educated, highly motivated individuals, you know, they came from engineering, accounting, HR professionals. It doesn't matter where you're working, anywhere where you've kind of developed a four-year degree, where you've really been honing and perfecting your, uh, perfecting your skills, and then you step into the job market. What I noticed with chatting with a lot of them is that they were disengaged or unfulfilled at work. And that was something that shocked me that I never really knew about when I first started kind of my employment journey. I, I thought, you know, you do a good job, you, you kind of get ahead, you, you have the opportunities that you want, and you're internally driven by these things. But speaking with a lot of individuals, they were unfulfilled. And then what's interesting about that is you see this rise of like side hustles and people doing these different things. Fast forward into the actual pandemic with COVID-19 and these situations have only gotten more extreme. You're yeah. hearing about the great resignation, people leaving. I think the pandemic, one of the good things that came out of the pandemic is it actually gave people a chance to stop and reflect on what they're doing and how they kind of look at their career. And when you're in the office, it's very easy to fill 40 or 50 hours a week with typical office type stuff. You go get your coffee, you're in your meetings. When you're sitting at home and it's just you and that monitor, there's nothing to do except kind of your core work that needs to get done and then reflecting on like your purpose and your mission and what you're actually trying to drive and achieve. And I think that's why we're seeing kind of the great resignation right now is people have been very purposeful about their purpose and thinking about what they want to do. Where technology comes in and to your question, Nick, is we're really at a very interesting phase right now with technology and particularly natural language processing. 
So this is where you can take, it's commonly referred to as NLP, but you take text-based response and you yeah. look at sentiment or, you know, different sorts of things that actually come out in that. And, and it's quite interesting and the technology's come quite far so far, but very similar to how your listeners and you might've gotten a perception of me based on the words that I use in the language right now, like on my friendliness, my agreeableness, my extroversion, you know, my innovation, my curiosity, you can do that with language and what, what people type into the tool. And that's what we started doing. So rather than asking people the traditional, you know, how are you feeling out of 10? How committed are you to your career out of five or rank these out of seven? We just tell people, you know, tell us about your purpose and why it matters. And they start typing all these fantastic, amazing answers into our tool. And we're able to look at all the sentiment and pull so much more data than we ever could before on how people actually feel about these topics. I can totally get why this could work, right? Because it can become quite tiresome seeing the same kind of form over and over and again. You end up kind of just doing it almost on auto mode without really concentrating. But I imagine, though, if people are writing freehand responses or really getting into, you know, the things that motivate them, the things they're looking for, that must be a huge, I guess, a lot of data to interpret at the other end. There must be some real complexity behind the scenes if you're going to allow people to free text, as you put down, or, or, or to, to give more insight than perhaps a tick box would do. I would argue that tick box is there to save time, but hopefully get a quick response. So how does that work behind the scenes? Absolutely. Great question, Nick. So what we've done is because we were starting small and it was just Israel really building this thing, we built the entire thing with scale in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a team of eight or an organization of 6,000, we're able to kind of plug and play. And it's very scalable in that in the back end, everything's automated with IBM Watson. So all our dashboards, all the insights, everything's pulled individually. We're not in the consulting space. We don't believe that external partners should come in and tell you about your culture you know your culture best we're really just about giving hr leaders the tools they need to really start managing and being strategic about their culture hr leaders and any leader in the organization really um one of the valuable points about craddock is that even if you are a single team using this you still see benefit you still see the trust go up in your team the vulnerability the openness we've measured creativity and language and see it going up so there's definitely a component around that I'd also say to your point, and it's an interesting one, we we initially, when we started on this journey, were curious, would people answer these questions? Like, yeah. if I sit down and I ask you to deliver me a report by Friday, that's pretty normal. Like, people are used to those interactions. If I ask you what makes you happy about your job, that's not so normal. And so you need to actually kind of think about that a little bit more. And we thought, well, are people going to engage with these questions? And what's been really validating for us is we do have a 98% response rate. So even wow. though people get these questions week after week, I mean, a typical employee engagement survey, if you get 40 to 60%, you're kind of on the high end. 98% of the questions we shoot out there are being answered. And funnily enough, even if people don't answer them initially, once they're kind of part of the dialogues and they hear people talking about them around the water cooler in their meetings, we see them go back into the tool, then go back and answer the first questions because they want to be a part of this journey as well. So uh, we do believe that if you give people really thought-provoking, engaging questions, and we have over 600 in our bank, people are going to engage with that tool in new and exciting ways that you haven't seen before. I mean, the response rate is phenomenal. I'll be honest. Uh, you know, I've, I've been working in the HR space nearly 20 years, and you're right. You don't tend to get that kind of engagement. But at the moment, when it comes to employee engagement, organizational leaders, you know, they're really trying to improve the link 
not just between employee wellness, but also inclusivity. So you said mm. you got a knowledge of 600 questions, was it you got in the bank? So how are you tackling that? How are you helping leaders? Should I say, let me rephrase the question. How are you helping leaders to improve the link between employee engagement and inclusivity? Again, great question, because diversity, equality, and inclusivity is so big right now. I think it's really, really important to think about a few different things. And and firstly, I'll talk about a personal story that I went through, I think, um, where I uncovered a bit of my unconscious bias, where we had a team we were working with. They were eight individuals, and I had been working with this team for quite some time. And we were going through Cratic together. So questions at the beginning of every week and then dialogue at the end of the week. You do that for eight weeks and then you shift gears down and you just do it once a month to kind of like maintain your culture. So in the system, one of the employees was actually registering like off the charts in terms of creativity, focus, openness. Every time they put an answer to the tool, the team would vote for it. It was driving a lot of discussion behind the scenes. And you could tell that this person was, there was something special about this individual. Now, one of the core tenets kind of of Cratic is we lean into extreme transparency without ever sacrificing anonymity. So we never tell whose answers are whose, but if that person wants to kind of open up and say, you know, these are my responses, then they're more than happy to do that. So after going through this a couple of weeks, I became really curious on, on who it was. And in one of the Cratic sessions, I said, look, if anybody, you know, is comfortable booking a one-on-one, I'd love to hear about like your experience in the tool. Particularly, I'm curious, like where you're landing in the tool, because it gives you all this data. It feeds it back to you all the time. So this person would have known that their answers were registering quite a bit higher than everyone else's. Uh, Eventually, they did book a one-on-one with me. And it was someone that I never expected in the team because they didn't fit my unconscious bias of what I associate with a leader, which is a little bit more loud, a little bit more boisterous, a little bit more a type, very much traditional. Like I watch suits and everything like that. So I thought, Oh, that's a leader, you know, the, the Harvey Specter type and everything. But this, this person was quite the opposite of that. They were a little bit more quiet, a little bit more of an introverted thinker and just very thoughtful about their approach and answers. But I could see that from the sidelines, they were guiding the entire team, every conversation they could ship and shape the way they wanted to based on their answers. So that was really an experience for me to go through where I realized I had unconscious bias about what I thought made a good leader. I ended up working with this person quite closely and we met on a weekly cadence and they ended up moving on to a great role and kind of pursuing that leadership path in the end. And I don't know if I ever would have been able to break through that if it wasn't for, you know, this kind of unbiased tool telling me something special is happening here. Like you need to, you need to look at this a little bit. And everyone has the opportunity to do that in Cratic. Like I said, you're constantly getting back your own data. So something I'm working on based on my Cratic results is generally I come off quite high on agreeability. I've known for my entire life that I'm a very agreeable person and I'm trying to taper that down a little bit and be a little bit more strong in my views because I kind of realized that through the tool as well. So you go through this period of self-reflection as well, which I think is something that helps with engagement as you're growing. Yeah, no, for sure. It's a great example. I I think self-reflection is something we don't do enough. You find a lot of HR leaders that I've had on the podcast talking about the uh, the benefits of having a mentor, because what a mentor can do is it gives you that platform to self-reflect with, to to, to work through the things in your mind. And often they're just a sounding board and they'll just lean you in different directions. But self-reflection, I think, is is huge in terms of of career growth and, and getting what we can. I thought it was interesting in your example, though, that individual you said was quite shy and potentially a little bit introvert. You wonder if they ever would have come forward with any voice 
had they not had the platform to do so? Would we ever have discovered this individual had such great ideas? Because mm. it's sometimes easier to put ideas down in a written form than it is in, in to, to talk about them in front of everybody else, and as you say, in mm. a, an anonymous way. So really interesting results there. You said at the start that you don't believe in your consultancy because you you channel your own culture, you develop your own culture. We know, you know, companies have their own culture best, so you have a platform that supports it. And you had an, you wrote an article that I thought was really interesting. And for those interested in this, I will put this in the show notes if you don't mind me, Mike. It's, it's, it's a really interesting article called The Five Culture Myths. So there's a link to that with Mike's permission I'll put in the show notes. W- well worth having a read through. I just wondered if you could, if you can, without catching you off guard, if you can bring one of those, some of those five culture myths to life for, for, the, for those listening to this to, I guess, yeah, just let them know what, they may not be aware of what these culture myths are, but culture is so important; it's so high up on the HR agenda. I think it'd be worth worth re- revisiting if that's okay. Absolutely, yeah, I'd love to. So, the, as we started on this culture journey again, we were a little bit unique because my co-founder Israel was a culture consultant, but uh, an MBA background, like very business oriented background, Lean Six Sigma training, and and I came from engineering. Yeah. So we were two non-HR professionals, admittingly, kind of entering this very exciting HR space. And there were things, kind of tenants, that we took just for granted, that we thought, oh, this is the way it's always been done. And there's obviously rationale behind this. So these are meant to be a little bit more provocative and like that hopefully not all your listeners agree with me here and there's a little bit of tension, but that we wanted to challenge the assumptions and challenge the status quo. So we came up with these five myths that through doing Cratic with teams, we realized weren't quite right. The first one that really kind of resonated with me personally is that it's all about employee happiness, that high employee happiness translates directly into high employee engagement. And we do not, I don't personally believe that at all anymore. If you want high employee happiness, you can put a bunch of ping pong tables in there. You can give people more time off, but that's not going to lead to career fulfillment. And that's not going to lead to engagement. And they're just as likely to leave, I think, than ever if you're really focusing on just maximizing the happiness. What's important is giving people intrinsic motivators and giving people things that matter to them, such as career fulfillment, challenging opportunities. Extrinsic motivators are also important, like salary and benefits, but intrinsic motivators are really what's going to move the dial on employee engagement. And that's something that we really focus on. And happiness is an outcome of that. If somebody has high intrinsic motivators and high employee engagement, then you're going to see happiness as an outcome, but it's not what you should be driving for. The other one that took me a while to kind of wrap my head around is that every culture is unique. So we worked with a lot of teams and different organizations. And the first thing they said is like, we're we're unique, like we're different than the other organizations you've worked with because of X, Y, and Z. And I believed that too for a long time, that every team I was a part of was, was unique. And then I really kind of looked at it from a little bit of a higher level and said, I don't believe now that humans are that different. And we all kind of want the same things in a culture. We want it to be authentic. We want to be heard. We want to be listened to. We want to be able to share our ideas. We want to be able to bring our best selves to work every day. These are common human traits and social traits that I think resonate with nearly everybody. And these are the things that we try to promote within organizations. So although I agree that an engineering team is very different than a sales team or very different than your HR team, and those are all going to have different needs, I think fundamentally humans are humans and you're going to want those same kind of motivators to exist. So that's another one that we kind of went through a bit. 
lastly, or, or one of the third ones I should say, is that it's hard to quantify the impact. Coming from engineering, this was one that probably resonated with yeah. me the most. You can quantify anything and you can make it very tangible for people and you can share those results. What's important is quantifying the right things and measuring the right things about your culture program. So for us, we look highly at employee net promoter score. How likely are your employees to recommend your organization as a place to work? And we've seen huge increases in that in just six weeks. But you can also measure things in the language, like the creativity in the language, the curiosity in the language, if the diversity and inclusion in the language that people are using in the organization. So for the first time in history, because of technology, if you can actually look at your values as an organization, let's say curiosity is one of your values, does that align with how people are talking in your organization? And yeah. is the language that they use actually displaying curiosity as a trait? The last two quickly, and I'll just kind of talk about them, is culture starts with the CEO. I personally have never been a part of the team direct with the CEO other than my Cratic team now, but there's just Israel and I, so we're, we're definitely a little <laughs> small team. Um, but the, you, the team and the people that you work with most in that 40 hour week are going to be your culture. Yeah. Of course, the CEO is kind of like the sail or the wind, and they're going to be guiding kind of the strategy and helping form some of that culture. But really your team, the people you work with most are going to have the largest impact on that. It takes a lot of work to have a great culture. We think that's absolutely a myth. If you have a great culture, it feels nothing like work. What takes a lot of work is a bad culture. It's tough to bring your best self in every day um, in a toxic environment or in an environment that you don't want to be a part of. That takes a lot of work. But if you have a good culture, again, that you feel listened, heard, openness, you know, valuing you as an individual, then that's actually going to be quite easy. It's hard for me to uh, challenge any of those, I think. I think you've articulated them really well. I'll tell you what I do know, and that's uh, I have had that feeling with the previous uh, previous I've worked with where, you know, the culture is similar. Sales culture, like working in recruitment, recruitment cultures are different, but there are definite similarities between them. But that feeling, and I'm sure there's people listening to this that can resonate, where it's Saturday or Sunday and you're already dreading Monday. You know, it's it's mm. it's all consuming and you're thinking, oh, you know, you're supposed to be enjoying your weekend, but you can't because, you know, you've got to drag yourself out. That's the bad culture example. Like, it's all encompassing in terms of energy and motivation. But if you get that right, I mean, that's when the great things happen. Right. That's where it can really, Absolutely. really improve. Now, you talk a lot on your flyer on your website about net promoter scores. I'll be honest, I'm sure there are some listeners that are really familiar with this term. It's not something I'm overly familiar with as, as a gauge. I think it's um, the acronym is ENPS. Is that right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Employer net promoter scores. So what if you could just tell me a little bit more about why they're important, what they are. And I guess, as you mentioned just then, that you had a, uh, I think it was 60, or there was a, a stat you gave where you've really able to improve net promoter scores in, in I think, about six weeks. What that an analytical process has looked like for you to see that you're getting results. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. 
net promoter score or employee engagement net promoter score is is an interesting concept. It was originally developed, I believe, by Bain Consulting, although I'm sure uh, any of your listeners can correct me on that if I get it wrong. But there was originally this concept of net promoter score in which you asked your customers how likely are they to recommend your product to others. And eventually it kind of morphed and it changed to internally looking at your employee engagement uh, net promoter score, asking okay. your employees how likely they are to recommend your organization to others. And the reason this comes with a lot of ban- advantages and one of the biggest one for us is it provides consistency across all the organizations we work with. So a lot of the organizations we work with already use EMPS or have an employee engagement survey that's kind of like a pseudo EMPS. So it allows us to actually do benchmarking across those organizations and see how they're doing relative to one another. So we do ask that question in very specific language about the employer net promoter score. The actual calculation behind it is rather simple. You look at all the people that are considered detractors, which is a score anywhere from like zero to six, I believe. And those people are essentially pulling, they, they don't love your culture. They're they're pulling it down. And so they're referred to as detractors. Then seven and eight is kind of neutral. So if they score seven or eight out of that, then you know they're not plus or minus. And then nine and 10 is a positive. So they're a promoter. And your goal is to shift more people from the detractors to the promoters. And at the end of the day, how you do it is you take your total percent of people that are detractors and you subtract your promoters. So it's a scale of essentially between negative 100 or positive 100. And what we've seen, which was, again, quite um, validating at the time, is even using Craddock for just six weeks gives you a 44-point increase in employee net promoter score. And when we tell people this, they don't believe it. I'm sure some of your listeners are probably like, that's impossible. Because <laughs> we we honestly didn't believe it either when we started looking at this data. Can it really just be as simple as creating good conversations in an organization and helping people you know, open up can lead to these results in six weeks? And over and over again, the average with any team that we've tried is 44 points. So we were quite excited about that. I mean, take away all the fancy kind of metrics behind it and the measuring behind it. At the end of the day, it just means your employees are talking more positively and more frequently about your organization than ever before. And that's what we're trying to do. Now, it's interesting. I said it's relatively new to me, although it kind of makes sense. I guess my, my recruiter hat on would say that my fear would be the, uh, maybe longer term, maybe it's more well adopted uh, here in the UK, that you maybe will start abusing the results if that's possible to try and encourage people to come to your brand over something else. I don't know, but it's an interesting concept for it, certainly as, as, as a gauge. And there are so many tools out there now. And certainly we're seeing them as recruiters, new tech, you know, people coming into the market, established players as well. A lot of them talk about, you know, tools that can help improve culture, measure culture. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. But I know that when we spoke uh, previously, you said the Cratic does it. It's not really about measuring culture. It's about developing a process that builds a positive culture. And there aren't many tools that are doing that. So the reason I want to bring this up is there's probably, I imagine there's lots of people out there listening to this who are familiar with culture building tools or something similar. How is Cratic different to what people may already be familiar with the market? Are they Will they be listening to this going, ah, but we've already got something similar or is your product really different? I, I think you hit the nail on the head there where you said Cratic builds culture. A lot of tools out there measure culture. You can find there, there's almost an infinite number of tools that will come in and measure your culture and then give you the results and it's up to you to implement. 
just using Cratic will help you build a positive culture within your organization. And that's kind of the one key message I think that that's so critical here. Even the name Cratic comes from the Socratic method of questioning, like using questions to influence people. And it's very similar to a coaching conversation where the questions that we ask change based on what the team wants to talk about. So very similar to in this podcast, Nick, I'm sure like, although you might have questions that you ask, you know, everybody, depending on my answers, you change your questions and you modify as we kind of go through a fluid conversation. We do the same thing on the back end with our machine learning algorithm. So every team that's using Cratic talks about what's important to them. So it feels like a very personalized approach. But yeah, at the end of the day, I just say it's about building a positive culture and actually seeing those results. There's 23 million culture managers on LinkedIn. Like when we search it, you can go and search right now. You're going to see 23 million plus pop up. But there's not a consistent methodology for any of these culture managers to actually build culture with a good tool that's scalable, that's going to be easy to implement in the organization. Uh, I know we've, we've looked for it before in different organizations and we were trying to find something here. And if you doubt it, I'd say just give it a chance. Uh, everything that we do is back. So if you don't see that employee net promoter score, you don't pay for it, essentially. So that's really what we're going to do is just give more people access to the tool, let them use it. We've seen that once people start using the tool, they continue using it on an ongoing basis because they miss these conversations if they were to disappear. So just try to experience for yourself, I'd say. Well, great, a great example there. One of my questions preset was why the name Cratic? And I can't answer that now. You've already answered the question. There you go. So I'm going to have to, <laughs> yeah. I have to change my questioning in, in direct response to the answer you've just given, which I will do. So rather than look backwards at why Cratic, what about the future then? What, what are your longer term objectives? Where do you see Cratic in the future in relation to the HR, HR workplace? So there's a couple of different things that I see is really critical. I'll kind of talk about to my vision and why I'm so passionate around Cratic. So as I was kind of completing my MBA and and we were reading a lot of case studies on massive incidents, you know, the Challenger explosion, um, Deepwater Horizon, all these really big impacts of organizations, the Enron scandal and everything. It was really interesting to me because whenever you read one of those case studies, about 98% of it, or or let me say 2% of it actually talks about the incident and what happened. And 98% of it is focused on the culture that enabled that incident. So I'll use the Deepwater Horizon. If you ever get a chance to read any case study on that, it talks about the fact that the engineers didn't feel listened to. You know, the BAs felt a lot of pressure upon them. Leadership felt that they didn't have accountability to make decisions. There were a bunch of cultural aspects. Like, yes, at the end, there was a technical issue that led to that, but there were cultural components that kind of eased into that. And now after working with Craddock, I do believe that you can eliminate those incidents. You can create a culture where people actually, again, I know I'm repeating myself here, but feel heard and listened to where those incidents don't occur because people are in a safe environment and they can talk about their concerns right away and bring them up and and get them resolved. So my kind of long-term vision is that actually these large organizations see a decrease in these major incidents and are reducing risk. In the short term, and what we try to do as a vision for Craddock is give every CEO, every leader in the organization insights into their people like they've never had before, almost live metrics on employee engagement. 
And to me, that my vision is a dashboard where just you have all your teams and they're blinking green and one team is blinking red. And maybe in a worst case scenario, that means they're about to have an incident there, a safety incident. In a mild scenario, maybe it means somebody on the team is just close to quitting and they need a little bit of TLC from that manager or that group right now, right? So that's what we want to do is very similar to a balance sheet or a cash flow model, start giving organizations standardized, easy to digest data on their people so that they can ensure that, you know, in this new world of really caring about your employees and ensuring that they're engaged, they're able to have a healthy measure and pulse on them. Now, I mean, look, for someone that interviews guests about this space, I know it's a hot topic. It sounds like a phenomenal product. Uh, It sounds like something that, you know, would be of interest to many people that listen to this. And I'm sure they're familiar with other tools. And of course, I'll put a link in the show notes for those that do want to find out more. But because it's relatively bleeding edge in terms of, you know, there isn't a competitor to quite what you're doing at the moment because it's quite new because it's still, you know, in development to a certain degree in the sense that you're you're still learning yourself about how the product can be improved as you grow. What's the question I should be asking that I haven't, that it might do, or have we covered it? I, I, I get it's about culture. I get it's about employee wellness, inclusion, employee engagement. Is there anything, because I've I've formed these questions based on my own research. I've looked at your frequently asked questions. I've looked at all the different bits and pieces. What else is there that perhaps I haven't asked that, that may really help bring the product even further to life for, for those that are listening at the moment? What's everyone's accountability in the future around culture and around employee engagement and around employee happiness? And this is kind of a concept that I've been thinking about a lot, but I do believe the role of HR professionals is shifting. I believe the role of leadership is shifting. I, I think, you know, early on, maybe in, you, you know, we might go to like the 40s or 60s, maybe even up to the 80s. Engineering was like, the I, I think, although I'm biased as an engineer, was, was kind of the hot career, right? You were building new things. You're pushing culture forward. You're doing these different things. And it helped us progress really, really far as a society. Then I think in the 80s and 90s and maybe the 2000s, you saw finance become like the hot thing. Like everybody was pushing finance. You saw this huge growth in organizations. Things were really just going faster, getting better. And, and you saw a very finance-driven society. I think and I believe that we're kind of right on the cusp where people leadership and employee engagement with Gen Z coming into the market with these new kind of shifts is going to be the next set of skills that people need to have for the next 20 or 30 years for a successful career. And it's not going to be enough to just be a great engineer or have great finance skills behind you. You're going to need to have great people management skills as well. And that's kind of what I would leave your your listeners with and myself with as a question at the end of the day is how important is employee engagement to you and your organization? Because I recognize that there's some industries, there's some companies where it really doesn't matter. They have a model where they go out, they hire, people leave, they have this attrition rate that they're kind of happy with and they keep rotating it. If it does matter to you, that and it does matter to your organization, then you need to do something different because I think the tools that we've been using so far haven't been working. And so we we think obviously with bias that Cratic is that something different and and we hope to kind of continue to work with people to prove it out and uh, keep moving forward. That's not really a question, I guess. That's a little bit more uh, of a listen, sentiment. But I think it's a great response. I'll tell you for why because you know I'm I'm doing a podcast for an industry here that 
I think is is now in the limelight and rightly so and hasn't always been. You know, we've come out of a pandemic now where HR have been incredibly hard, you know, overworked. They have to be experts in so many different fields, whether it's ED&I one, one second, whether it's COVID response the next, right? They've got to wear so many hats. But actually, it's really propelled the HR profession, I think, in organisational, at, at C-suite level for organisations to really go, actually, if we don't have this agenda right, if we don't get our people's strategy right, got the great resignation going on at the minute, as you mentioned, talent is in short supply, it's hugely competitive. I don't think there's ever been a time, in my experience, 20 years in the HR industry, recruiting for HR professionals, albeit not necessarily as an HR professional myself, but I've never seen it more competitive, but also more in the limelight for importance, as you say, looking after the people agenda, looking after the well-being of your employees. Because to lose a top engineering talent individual or or a top finance individual business, it has huge ramifications on the company performance. And HR has a huge role to play in keeping those talented individuals engaged and working for you, not against you, or losing them to a competitor, which can be even more costly. So I think it's really exciting at the minute that this kind of these kind of tools and people like yourselves are actually investing in this market. Because it absolutely, in my view, is the future. I think people leadership and the way leadership is it, leadership is changing. It's more outcome based now as we're working from home and all these things. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people will be listening to what you're answering going, hell, yeah, let's hope that's correct. Let's hope the next revolution in, in terms of the workplace changes is, is, is really giving credence to the HR profession. I, I think you articulated it beautifully there, Nick. Like what I heard there is HR is really coming to the forefront like never before. So yeah. what are we as HR professionals going to do differently to like not take advantage of that, but to show our value there and to kind of like really step into that space. And there's going to be new tools popping up all the time. I hope that we're not the first. I'm sure we won't be the last, but taking the time to evaluate those, look at those because it's going to be an exciting place to play in for the next uh, 20 or 30 years here. Absolutely. Well, we didn't want a pandemic, but the pandemic has has helped push the dial for HR professionals coming into the limelight. And we want to keep pushing tech like yourselves, like Quatic, and I'm sure other tools we haven't yet to to discover are going to keep pushing that dial. So it's it's been fantastic having you on the podcast, uh, Mike. Thank you ever so much for joining me today. For those that are interested in finding out more about Quatic AI, can you tell us a little bit about where, where you'd like to direct them to? Yeah, Mike at Craddock.ai is my email. So feel free to reach out there. And then www.craddock.ai is our website. And we have a uh, like and subscribe button on there as well. So feel free to put your email in there. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear from your listeners as well, even if they just want to share a little bit of a, about their experience, um, where they see the industry going. So yeah, anyone uh, encourage them to reach out and looking forward to the dialogue. Fantastic. Well, I'll put Mike's email in the show notes along with that Cratic.ai URL as well. I'll also include that five culture myths, which I think you articulated brilliantly on the podcast. But for those that want to read it in its full entirety, a link to that will be on there as well. And I think there's a couple of other podcasts you've been involved in as well. So um, one called Pivot Point and uh, the New What Paradigm. So I'll I'll also include those links for those that want to hear more about what it is you're doing and and how it's going to impact the the world of work for the future. But huge thank you, uh, Mike, for for joining me today on the HR L&D podcast. And of course, it just leads me to say, of course, if you are looking to recruit an HR professional and you want to work with a specialist HR recruiter passionate about this marketplace, then do give myself or my team a call. You can access us at www.jgarecruitment.com. I'll also put my personal email in the show notes as well. Otherwise, thanks for joining me and thank you all for listening. Please remember to subscribe, share this episode with all your HR colleagues, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of the HR L&D podcast real soon. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Nick. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. 
If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favourite podcast channels. Till next time.